Welcome, everybody. This episode was recorded on April 23rd of this year. You're going to notice a dramatic change in the beard in a moment. Hope all of your hair is coming in well during this historic time. It was wonderful to have Scott Cloutier back on the show. He was in uh, one of uh, in the first year of the podcast, 2015, back when we just did audio if you want to go back and listen to that on your favorite app you can this episode is sponsored by patreon saint neil hoover he's with the creative businessmen podcast check it out in the details below in the description offering a new thing on patreon you reach a certain level not only do you get a shout out do you get to sponsor a show but you also get a one-on-one -on -one zoom chat with me if you so desire and additionally it can be private or it can be posted publicly like neil chose to do so it is posted within the patreon it's free it's open to the public uh, without having to join a tier you can watch our conversation hear all about his podcast and being a serial entrepreneur really cool uh thing that i've added and people have been pretty excited about it i've been having a, a ton of great chats with a bunch of you so far. So check that out if you like, and I'll give you more details at the end of the episode. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I have return guest joining me. Scott Cloutier is here. Scott, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. Uh, I am a professor in the School of Sustainability at Arizona State University. Uh, my research is on happiness and um, community development, but definitely, you know, in this time of COVID-19, thinking more about what this is meant to teach us and thinking more deeply on the spiritual dimensions of happiness and um, kind of our human existence and what we're here for and how do we connect with things beyond the self and these types of ideas. And this is really who I'm stepping into being as this all kind of takes place and using science as a tool to validate that amazing yeah, yeah so yeah. listeners yeah. listeners should go back um and uh, and listen you were in the very first season of yeah. here we are in the first year so about five years ago yeah pre-beard mm -hmm. uh pre-tie-dyed shirt small, small beard yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shirt, shirt and tie at that point too right i think so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and this is, this is also before I launched my own, um, my own, um, psychedelic tour going around finding new ways of talking to people about consciousness and, and yeah, things wonderful. like that. So, so, uh, so this is awesome to get to check back in at this time because yeah. when I reached out to you, you were like, I don't really know what to, uh, what to what what of my work would be interesting for this right now and i i think that um this is uh in a more interesting time than ever because this is giving us this little bit of a pause and reset button um in terms of our perceptions and maybe at least allowing us to envision what um uh, a world could look like you know I, i've been thinking a lot about um um in, in my most optimistic well this can be both pessimistic and optimistic but i've been thinking a lot about punctuated equilibriums and how how you know we we usually think about change and these tiny little gradual steps and but but in many species throughout much of time a lot of evolution has worked after after over these massive shifts that uh not always good ones <laughs> not yeah, all, yeah. Uh, but but sometimes um and and this seems like one of those times where there's going to be massive shifts in terms of you know the obvious one that i've that i've said many times is um uh, there, there's been a lot of people that probably should have should have had the opportunity to work remotely two decades ago, but mm -hmm. there is just this historical legacy of of 
corporations unsure of how that would go and maybe not wanting to take the chance on mm-hmm. on risking it and trying something new. And it seems like there's just a lot of opportunities like that in terms of um, in in terms of um, infrastructure change. In ter- as we're like bailing out airlines, might might there be a chance to be like, you know, trains are pretty cool. Um, and, and, and then, um, and then before us talking right now, I didn't, uh, I didn't even know that you were, I mean, I knew you did, uh, wellness, but I, I didn't know that you were on, um, exploring kind of, uh, personal spirituality and everything as well, because it's, it's something that I, I think until, um, until Sam Harris, who was like one of the four horsemen of atheism, started mm. all of a sudden writing books about spirituality, mm. uh, people were like, "Oh, I guess science can can talk about spirituality as well." So, yeah. so what have you? Uh, uh, so you've had about what six weeks now to hunker down or something like yeah. that. What What have you been thinking about um, uh, during this time? I mean, I, it's. Um the gift that this opportunity is for us is not lost on me. You know, I think that's what I've been feeling into. And I mean, I have, I have a space of privilege and, um, you know, I, am a white man living in this world and I have the privilege to be able to say that, but I also see this, this thing really gets us to this space where we all, no matter who and what we are, question our connection and our connection to, anything and everything, you know, and I think this social distancing, physical distancing thing really has us thinking about, well, who are we really as individuals and who do we rely on and what are our connections? And I know people in the space that are absolutely miserable. I know people that are absolutely happy. I know people that are all over the place. And for me, it just has me thinking like we have an opportunity here to hit the reset button and to totally envision the world that we want to live in. And, and, um, it's happening and work's important. You know, I was just reading this wonderful paper on Buddhism in the workplace and it talks a lot about how, you know, we really have chosen and agreed to work in a way that we suffer. And then we search for our happiness after work. And the way that we search for our happiness after work is with the money that we make working. But during the time that we work, we choose to be without our family. We choose to do things that maybe don't give us purpose. We choose things that don't give us meaning. We're not really happy doing it. We don't like the hours. We don't like the commute. We don't like being away from our children. We don't like what we have to eat or what we don't eat. We don't like being told where we have to be when we have to be there. And so for me, a lot of this stuff is like, holy cow, we get to look at an actual alternative that's lived rather than spoken about, right? And so mm-hmm. the gift for me is an alternative way of being. And then if we can come together and if we can rally in a way that leaders and so another friend shared me, I shared a New York times article on leadership with me and it talked a lot about needing leaders in business and leaders in these different dimensions. But what I really think we need is leaders who can facilitate these conversations about what do we want to actually become and what world do we want to live in? And, and what is it about the old way of being prior to this COVID-19 stuff that no longer resonates with us? Yeah. Mm. And, and, it, and, it, and it inherently taps into the spiritual elements in the sense of, well, what is it that lights me up? What is it that allows me to live where I feel like I am connecting with something bigger than myself in a way that gives me meaning and purpose? And, and I've always been in that space with the happiness research. It's just that, you know, in a lot of the happiness literature, it's talked about as spirituality and not even necessarily spirituality, but living a life of purpose or eudaimonia or meaning is the ultimate pinnacle of happiness. But for me, the way to get there is by working internally mm-hmm. to experience those things. And it can't be pursued from the external world and deriving pleasure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, so I just, um, I don't know when this is coming out exactly, but I, for purpose of our conversation, mm-hmm. I just had uh, less than a, a week ago because I, I haven't uh, I haven't studied Buddhism I don't I don't meditate as much as I would like to yeah. um, I I don't uh, and yoga is like I'm missing I haven't I have all the time to do yoga and I, I go in streaks of sometimes I'm doing it like three times a day. Um, and, but during this whole, um, quarantine, I haven't done any and I've, uh, but my, 
my my main um my early connection to any any thinking like this was was through uh, uh, psychedelic experiences. Mm-hmm. It was just it was just something that was forced on me when I was a teenage douchebag that was completely oblivious <laughs> and gobbled too many mushrooms and was like, "Oh shit, I'm, I'm seeing things." I, all of a sudden, I care about nature and, and these things that I never really took notice of or took for granted or whatever, and. Yeah. And so last Saturday I had a special, so I've been touring with a show called Stand Up Science. It's two scientists Mm. and a second comedian everywhere I travel. And then I started doing a psychedelic version of that as well. And so select engagements. And so I did a virtual version of that and it was basically comparing this pandemic. Um, So I had all these different people from experts from the psychedelic research space and whatnot and comparing this pandemic to, to a trip, which, and, and, and a lot of people, this isn't me advocating for psychedelics, but I am advocating for tripping because it, just because you've never done a psychedelic before doesn't mean you've never tripped. You, you, you. That's just everyone's had a transformative experience. Every mm-hmm. uh, you have, you have one when you're born. You have one when you go to preschool. You have one when you enter grade school. When you have these, when you start a new school year. When you hit puberty. When you move out of your parents' house. When you get married. These are all when you go and you visit a new culture for the first time and. And, um, and this whole pandemic is exactly like this in so many ways to me, which is there's no, no one's going to see the world the same after this. You find yourself becoming mindful of all these Mm -hmm. things that you, you weren't even aware of, like you'd never even thought about say a food supply chain before or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or uh, and, and all of these things you you took for granted the friends in your life and you took hugging for granted and yeah, and, totally. and, and now everyone's going you know what i want to go i like nature more than i realized i yeah. i need to all of a sudden a, a, a world full of couch potatoes it's like, I got to get off the couch. I'm watching too much TV. I want to yeah. get out there and hike. Let me hike. And, yeah. and, and, and at the same time, everyone's like, you know, money isn't everything. And yes. we need to worry about, we need to think about healthcare a little yes. more. Yes. We all need to come together, even if we don't agree. And yes. it's like all the same shit that people say, walking out of an ayahuasca retreat (laughs) i'm gonna pick up a new hobby i'm gonna get into (laughs) painting why have i been doing a cubicle job it's it's all it's exactly the same stuff that's happening yeah it totally is and i and it's it's um you know i really think it calls forward this you know and it's been around for a long time and it's been around before you know, science as an idea existed that it, it's time to use the intellect to um, comfort the brain and knowing that these experiences are possible. And, and for me, this is what science is about. It's about the generation of intellectual knowledge, intellectual reasoning and rationale through a set of methods, right, that we agree on as scientists and that need to be refined constantly. And I think they're out of date that allow the intellect to sink in, allow the mind to sink into acceptance of the possibility of mystical and transformative experiences that can exist through things that aren't even just drugs. I mean, everything's a drug. Yeah. I mean, even nature's a drug, but through these things. And everything's, everything's certainly mind altering as as well. Right. That's what I mean. But it's like, you know, I can have a powerful, mystical, transformative, psychedelic experience through breath work, you know, and and it doesn't involve Mm. putting anything in my body. And I can, mm-hmm. I can have that same experience from being in nature and having this incredible moment of awe of like, wow, this is just such a vast space and I am just small and just a speck in the, in the global, you know, universal concept of what is, yeah? And I think for me, this is what is more and more important and this is what's providing, this is what COVID-19 is providing. It's providing, <clears throat> it, it removes this tether to a way of being that we are almost automated toward. Yeah. Like it's, it's been so, it's been so handily crafted and I think it's both through design and not design. I think it's through emergence that the system that we lived in before COVID-19, we were just, there was an automated part that we just plugged into and we agreed to do that. And the way that we show up and work, the way that we interact with others, the way that we feel about 
so many things in our life that now we actually have time to sit and be like, wow, holy cow, what was I thinking? Do I really want to work this much? Or why does it cost? You know, one of the most recent mind-bending, and I'm sure lots of your viewers have had this experience, when I went to India and it was these crazy long flights and my legs would swell like crazy. And like, I've never had that experience on flights at all. And I got to the airport and I met a friend who was a student actually. And he said, come here, like, we'll get a pill to help with the swelling. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And, and in my mind, I'm just thinking like, damn, this pill is going to be like hundreds of dollars. And it was $2 for a pack of 24, mm-hmm. you know, and in the U S it's super expensive. And I've talked to a lot of students who have come to the United States and they talk about how it's insane how much medicine is and how much it costs to buy different things. And, you know, it's like, that moment it was, and I knew this was true through intellectual descriptions, but that moment of having that experience allowed me to really say like, holy cow, I'm just programmed to agree to plug into this system that is the American healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to spend such a huge portion of my income on those things. Yeah. And now we're getting this opportunity where I know some folks in Vermont who do this like wilderness survival school and they've always had, you know, a decent amount of people, but now they're booked out for the next two and a half years for people that think that, you know, the shit's going to hit the fan and we need to learn how to survive in the, in the wilderness. And, and COVID-19 is opening up so much space for that with everyone to consider like, wow, like what tools and skills do I need to learn again or, or all new tools in order to cope with what this thing is and start thinking about that. And so, you know, what you talked about with TV, like being plugged into the couch, it's something we could do two or three hours a night after work, after a stressful day to get some doses of pleasure and get some dopamine released and, and to lower our cortisol levels and feel like, yeah, everything's great. Yeah. Like I'm feeling good. And then you go to bed and you get up and you do the same thing. But now when you have the whole day where you could truly just sit on the couch, if you wanted to and do work as you're sitting there, mm-hmm. you do see so many more people outside walking you see families outside playing and, and it's, um, it's just such a gift. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think that it's something that we all, as scientists, as academics, as humans, as non-academics, as whatever we are in this life, we need to consider this moment deeply and it's important in the relevance to what we could live in the future. Yeah, I mean, even, even say, say everything is, everything's gonna be cured next week, there's a perfect vaccine that somehow gets out to all of the world and we all get to go back to um business as usual Mm -hmm. and and say you like whatever whatever um you have like uh a say not to shit on cubicle jobs but let's just say cubicle uh, cubicle job that you either like or dislike um, I, I would still think this would be a tremendous opportunity to uh, uh, things that you can learn from this to just reframe what your usual experience is. You, you know, you do you do guided meditation at first to be like, okay, how does this meditation stuff work? Okay, when mm. I'm sitting and I'm listening to this guided meditation, that's when I'm like kind of meditating, and that's about the, my ten minutes of the day when I'm going to be mindful and then over time you learn oh mindfulness is a practice you're doing it's every step that you take in in life it's it's everything that you're doing all of the time and you can bring that same practice into work in the mm-hmm. same in the same way whether you're uh say like me um uh, happen to get stuck in your parents basement yeah. because you're touring on the road and yeah. thought you'd stop and make the most out of this and visit family for a few weeks until things blew over yeah. uh you can you <laughs> you know there's a lot of different ways you can perceive that situation and yeah. and there's there's a lot of j- different just 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 in the same way that solitary confinement in prison is mm. one of the single greatest punishments that modern humans have yeah. and it's also um it's also a silent meditation retreat is yeah. one of the one of the like most privileged things yeah. that a person could do it's the exact same act mm. <laughs> and and one is like 
boy, I sure hope I can do one of those one day. And the yeah. other is like, boy, I sure hope that never happens to yes. me. And, and I think that it, you can have that mindset in terms of even if you are going back to your same job and your same cubicle life, or I mean, I, it, it's, it's not like, it, it, it's not like every national, uh, natural forest ranger um, has 100% of their days just loves going into work and doing, doing the nine to five thing there either. You know, there's, mm. there's plenty, there's, there's plenty of, of, of people uh, living, living their dream life that, that still could learn a thing or two from mindfulness pra- practices. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think there, and there's so many ways to do that, you know, med- meditation. It's interesting with our students who, you know, there's a big interest in students in this kind of, uh, you know, I've been teaching college now for more than a decade in, in different places. And it's um, the students now are so interested in mindfulness and meditation and spirituality and questioning what we're doing and what is life and what is money and what is relationships and what is sexuality and what is our connection and why are we here and our purpose. And, but there's also this, you know, it's like when we were kids growing up, it was, there was still a shame or guilt about not being whatever it is our parents thought we should be or how we should work or what, what our jobs would be or what is success. And now it's like that has been applied to the landscape of meditation in some ways where stu- students think that if I can't meditate, then I suck. Or if I don't do it enough, I don't do yoga. But there's so many meditative experiences. You know, what you talked about with solitary confinement is a, is a crazy good example of it because there are people that pay a lot of money to go and be in solitary confinement of their own will, yeah, but for shorter periods of time. But there are people that who go into uh, the, ma- the monastic lifestyle and live isolated in a similar way to tap into these parts of the self that are ideas and fundamental attachments, right, that are deeply rooted in us. And it's a matter of perspective on whether or not you think what you're doing is a good thing or a bad thing and, and how attached you are to that idea. Yeah? And so for me, again, what COVID provides is a, is a platform where we're all meeting there and we're all meeting in this place where like, holy shit, nothing is real, but everything feels real. And, and, um, and yeah, this, this feels like something that could be created as an outcome of ayahuasca or as an outcome of mushrooms or as an outcome of, you know, a, a transformative yoga experience or a, a silent retreat where it's like, you know, I've been plugged into this matrix of that I haven't necessarily agreed to, but I've supported and that I've been a part of. And now there's this chance to rethink everything. And, and this for me is where my work in sustainability and it's just so important that we really take a moment to honor what this is and that, you know, there's, there's marginalized communities and non-marginalized communities, but in different ways, and I'm not trying to devalue the marginalization of marginalized communities in different ways. We're all marginalized as a collective Mm -hmm. thinking that we are separate from, and this is why spirituality comes in to be such an important thing that realizing that we all are a part of the same thing and we all are as humanity as all these different species that are here with us we are the collective expression of life and and death is a part of life but that that death just allows for new life and so for me how do we touch those things and how do we use science to validate those those um, connections and empirically measure that and all those things to create that kind of evidence for the intellectual mind yeah, I, I would think that even if you were one of the wealthiest, most privileged people on earth, you'd be feeling a little bit frag- more fragile and vulnerable yeah. than, than, than usual <laughs> right now. Like, oh, what, uh, what if, uh, what if uh, inflation skyrockets? Yes. What if our dollar isn't worth what it used to? Yes. What if I spent this entire life... To- Oh no! I fucked over everybody for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's not I, real. I, I I hope at the end of my life I at least get to say that I fucked over people for a purpose. <laughs> you know. <laughs> 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 um, uh, but uh, but uh, I I um uh, going going back to one uh, a thing that you said um too as, as this is as this is um uh uh. 
uh, you know, for for my um, for my Uber Science uh, listener, yeah, um, that that maybe doesn't like my uh, or or isn't I. Is this even a person that exists? Maybe there might be people out there not not as oh, yeah, interested in my psychedelic stuff. They exist, yes, um, they exist. and and, and yeah. uh, it, that I mean, of science is. Um, I, I I've had four things that have forever shifted my my lens, or or um, uh, uh, you know these 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 fourth one was wanting to become a comedian mm -hmm. um made me see things differently rather than rather than feeling like an outsider as like a, a bad thing out uh, being an outsider was now an asset to mm -hmm. see people's behavior more objectively that was like kind of the comedians are like the alien anthropologists already mm -hmm. and which kind of set me up for science before i knew it and uh and then when i was uh in high school and and i had my first psychedelic experiences that was number two and then three was um and there a lot of things went into my science interests and they existed for um a long time um um most of it was just i didn't like going to church and, and didn't want to and didn't want to go to church and wanted to think of reasons not to go that that was my early interest in learning about evolution but when i actually learned about evolution when i actually learned started learning about like evolutionary psychology for for its many um for its many flaws and it being like a, a exceptionally new and imperfect field mm -hmm. once i started once I started learning about how evolution actually shaped our minds, our behavior, our preferences, why we may, why we maybe spend money in, in a certain way, why we're aggressive, th things like that, that, that was trippier than any. I've had a lot of psychedelic experiences and, and evolutionary psychology has probably done the thing that had the permanent lens on, like D DMT, you you trip and see some shit like this background behind me, mm -hmm. uh, you know that that's going to be jarring and very interesting. But I don't I don't think about my D, uh, DMT uh, experience every day or experiences every day and everything that I see. Science has completely everywhere I look, everything I see every day. It it is forever changed because of the influence science has had on me and. And this pandemic is number four. It's the fourth thing that I'll, I'll never look at anything the same. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, in terms of some of your some of your work with sustainability, because I, I remember, and forgive me for I, I didn't listen back to our no problem, first no. Uh, episode, um, but but um, I I I remember us talking a little bit about um, sustainability in terms of um rethinking how kind of communities yeah. could be could be built that was a yeah. lot of the focus of the conversation have you been have you been thinking about um things like that just in terms of um changes in in transportation in terms of how we how we live because if, one thing in this conversation you said people are connecting with their family again well yeah, yeah, yeah. that's both good and bad because yeah, sure. because some people <laughs> as they aren't getting their space from their kids and there's no separation between work and 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 family life some people are like god i can't wait to get back to my, my yeah. cubicle for, uh, and, and wanting a little separation and and to me i think that's because this is um, you know, we didn't evolve for the, we, we didn't evolve to be so disconnected from our kids and, and leave them, uh, in the hands of babysitters all the time, but we also didn't evolve to, um, to just be the sole care, uh, cares and providers of our, you know, our, our ancestors would have been, had a little more community support yes, and, and, um, and, and, uh babysitters were something that were just there all all yeah. of the time yeah. and and uh and, and and now um uh, with the nuclear family um that is definitely not not the structure that i think that we evolved for 
um, maybe this is an opportunity for us to rethink that as well. Yeah, no, I think it is. And I mean, you know, starting with talking about, you know, the scientists that are here, like it's, um, it's funny. I just received an email this morning from a friend who was talking about, I had sent her her an email. I was talking about trying like my work. I really feel my work is blending the intellectual and the spiritual description. And, and for me, they are both on the same side of the coin. And I, and I think that it's really just a matter of what resonates for you, you know? And so things I'll say here today, you know, there, there's always counter arguments for these things and I can actually go in and, and, uh, join the team that's counter arguing against whatever it is I said and say, yeah, yeah, like I'm there. I see that too. And I, for me, when doing this work with communities, you know, and having done this for the last decade and having been in the military and, you know, had the opportunities to yes, serve our country, but also to serve in some of the countries we went to that where there were just these crazy conditions that I'd never experienced before in my life. What it started to teach me is that being in service to the communities teaches me so much about what it is I need to work on myself and, and how I need to work on different parts of my own ways of being. And so I still very much focus on supporting communities and work with students and collaborate and focus on community happiness and well-being and how do we create spaces in the eyes of a community that serves their happiness and their purpose and aligns with the principles of sustainability. That's very much a large focus of my work and that as a process in itself. Yeah. But also thinking about as we do that work, what is it that individually comes up for me and needs to be worked on too? So maybe, you know, maybe I go into a community and I come up and I'm like, wow, this place is just a, a terrible shithole. And, you know, the, and I see this happen a lot with students who have never been into these places and spaces. And, and it's like, well, wait a minute, that's coming up for you. Like, what is that? What is that? What are those sets of judgments? Why are those values coming up? And do you really believe them? And how do, and why do you believe them and, and touching that stuff? Yeah. And so what I would say now, probably more than ever, is that I am simultaneously focused on the progression of working on individual things as I am being of service in the community. And, you know, I'm like, I'm learning actually now, I've taken classes on world's religions now, but I'm learning, I'm in a program on integrative healing arts and learning about different spirituality practices and religions right now. And, you know, on Confucianism, it talks a lot about like these concentric circles of self and then family, and then community, and then society, and, and with, within Hinduism. And, and uh, you know, I went to this conference in India and gave a talk, and one of these wonderful speakers was talking about how in Indian education, we are in service to um, the family, to community, and to society. Before we're in service to the self, but inherently through serving those three things with intellect, with whatever we have to offer, we are also in service to ourselves because we are changing as a result of the way that we work with the communities we serve and the people we serve and, and, and those things. And he talked about this wonderful story about how, you know, he was experiencing younger kids now who were saying like, Oh, I don't know anything to my parents. And then he would say to them, and his dad was like a famous guru in India. And I, and I don't even remember his name, but he, he was saying, well, what about, he's like, who dressed you? Who taught you how to walk? Who taught you how to speak? Who taught you what different words mean? Who taught you what these things are? Yeah. And he was trying to bring it back to a space of, you know, you're always in service to the community and those who have helped you. And this community and society as a large, writ large provides a space where I can get food for my family because of all the humans that, and we're seeing their value now that get food to the grocery stores and the farmers that get that food there and the vendors that pick it up and the distributors. And, and so thinking about, how those things happen in transportation systems and the way we move in our communities is important to me. But what's largely important to me is thinking about what it is that we desire as individuals and then how that collective expression impacts the way we design our communities writ large. And so my desire for the endless consumption of non-renewable resources and these things has an impact writ large on my entire world. And I feel in that space that if I'm consuming in a way that is beyond what I need, I'm not really in service to my community and I'm not in service to society. Even though I have these biological, I mean, the toilet paper thing was a wonderful example. Like toilet paper just disappeared off shelves and then cheese and eggs and like all this crazy and disinfectants. 
it's like we get into this space where like, oh shit, this thing's coming undone. And the body physiologically says like, oh, you're screwed, like move now. And our response is to go hoard, right? And then we hoard and then it settles out. And it's still a shortage of these things. But we get to experience that physiological response and then look at it and say, wow, what is, what is really here for me and how do I want to show up? Hmm. How do you... Uh, how do you view this um, in terms of? Yeah, do do you have any thoughts? That, because we've 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 talked a lot about kind of personal growth. Mm-hmm. Um, what about in terms of? And, and I, I really like the idea of of um, of uh, being able being able to flip perspectives uh, mm-hmm. readily and, and appreciate that as, as um, seeing lots of different points of view. I've, I, one, one of my favorite things about my podcast, it, granted, it's not like, um, uh, you, you know, I, I'm not having some perspective shift, like going from believing in evolution to not believing in evolution or something yeah. like that. But every, every single interview that I have, I, I go, I go, well, what about this thing that I think is like based on science? And then, and then, and then scientists are very good at being like, well, actually, it's a bit more complicated than that. Here's something that you aren't considering. And, and I get to go like, oh, oh, I guess I was off in that. And it's such an opportunity to, um, to see from uh, things from a different perspective. And, I've been trying to apply that to my uh, to like the political landscape too of like how do I I have such a hard time seeing things from the dif- from a different like policy standpoint than I'm um than I'm used to and I'm like am I just being closed minded um or is other I don't know but but has has any of this made you think that there's any um are are you as optimi- uh, optimistic for any um, larger policy change as you are opportunity for? Because I I think there's going to be lots of personal growth. I think yeah, there's yeah. going I think that there's going to be a fair amount of um, you know alcoholism and drug uh, oh, drug issues and uh, domestic abuse and some just fucking horrible stuff. But yeah. but I I think that I think that surely. Without a doubt, there's going to be tons and tons of. I think just before we got on here, I saw um, the two top streaming categories on Netflix are now family-oriented um, stuff and self, like well-being stuff. You know, like the yoga videos and stuff yeah. like that. So even even just in terms of when people are turning on the TV, like there there's a clear trend of of family going inward but in terms of in terms of um policy i mean i guess my my at first i was like look the skies are clearer we have these terrific satellite images i brought this up a couple times and at first i was so excited um that like wow everyone's going to get to see that hey humans do have this impact on these things and yeah and maybe now we can shift policy and then it was pointed out to me that already uh, all of these environmental protections and everything have have uh, uh you know the economy has been used as an excuse to strip many of these to relax them uh, to, yeah. to <laughs> relax i think it might be an understatement relax yeah relaxes it's it's funny because the idea of relaxing environmental protections is it's one crazy. of the least relaxing ideas <laughs> that i can that i can think about but it what is. opportunities and and what um what issues what, what what do you kind of in in terms of those larger scale things um yeah i mean you know i'm not i'm not a political scientist and i i won't pretend to know the way i mean i know about, uh, in my general education how policy happens and is reformed and shifted and those things and there's a wonderful political scientist actually at asu her name's hannah breitz who 
she does a lot of things with the energy and all kinds of stuff. And uh, she's in the school of sustainability and she, she has fantastic thoughts on these things. But for me, what a lot of this is doing, you know, I was just reading an article yesterday about COVID-19 being essentially a, um, it's a, it's a catalyst for domestic abuse. It's a catalyst for child abuse. And because of the frustrations of building the homestead and all these different things. And, you know, those things, they're terrible, but those things are also things that really hit us in the heart or in the mind or wherever it is to start thinking about our society on a larger scale. Like, wow, there's all this new child abuse emerging or there's, there's these environmental policies being relaxed, right? Like we need to really start thinking about the way that we arrange and organize our policies in ways that, that maybe that doesn't happen. All of those things don't happen. Yeah? And so for the folks that are working in the space of policy, that are thinking about these things. There's so much more evidence now of, of some of the challenges that need to be addressed within policy. And I, and again, I think like, you know, whether we're addressing this on the macro scale of society and policy and political scales and wills and things, or we're addressing this on the individual scale and policies we have within ourselves, it feels it's similar in expressions, but it's maybe different in process. And so I think that all of this is a really beautiful opportunity. to try. And with sustainability policies, I mean, the biggest fear within sustainability is that a lot of these things are going to be relaxed. And it's like all this work that's been done, that's been based on evidence, you know, the, the uh, river in Ohio setting on fire and, you know, just all the water protection acts and, and all these different things that helped create, you know, uh, the clean water act and clean air and these things, all that work happened because of evidence. Yeah. And now there's more evidence coming that maybe we have another layer of work to do. And, and the well-being videos, you know, being the top pick is, is encouraging and those types of things and realizing like, you know, Netflix may start providing more of that service. But the thing that we may also realize is that, you know, our, our society greatly undervalues the roles of those folks that do that kind of work, you know, in the healthcare industry or in, you know, our teachers or yoga teachers or, you know, uh, healing practitioners or those types of things are greatly undervalued. And I think we're starting to see that that is largely important. And maybe policy can also support um, greater reforms in that area to promote that stuff in our society beyond just going to the doctor and getting a pill that shuts down your, you know, your neurological pathways that allow you to feel stress or feel shame or feel guilt and then allow you to keep plugging in and, you know, give the body a false sense of happiness that, that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. So from a design perspective, this is a really beautiful thing, I think. And it's going to inform all scales, all levels, and there's going to be battles and there's going to be challenges. But I think as scientists, our role is to help support, you know, to me, the fundamental thing that I, I loved going to Cornell, Cornell was where I did my PhD and I loved it because when I went there to interview, to do my PhD, you know, my advisor talked a lot about, you know, Cornell was designed to be of service to society. And the intention was to support farmers and generating knowledge and how to grow food and how to live and work with the land and these types of things. And that idea of what a university is resonates so strongly with me for what my job as an academic is, is that I am here to help inform the betterment of society, not from my own view, but from the view of what is being called for. And and what now is being called for is a dramatic shift in everything. Mm. And however, I think we as scientists can contribute to that and generate this intellectual knowledge and also honor the knowledge that has existed long before we started this thing called science, right? Like indigenous ways of knowing and traditional ecological knowledge that, that was learned through living with land. Taking these things and generating some form of new knowledge that allows us as a world and as a society to get behind policy reform, to get behind individual promotion of well-being, happiness and health and, and sustainable lifestyles. Mm. Yeah, so I think this is all a gift. So how, uh, how, how do people go about um, integrating this gift once all, all of this is over? Because yeah. uh, once again, to, um, uh, to uh, I mean, um, a, a couple things when we've, um, when I've, through this conversation, when I've been mentioning this being like a transformative experience. Yeah. I've been highlighting these optimistic things, but a, a, a big and often even more useful aspect of the transformative experience is when 
these negative things come to yes. the surface. You know, the yes. psychedelic space calls it a difficult trip rather than a, a bad trip, uh, because often, and it's been my experience that those are those are the ones that 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 you look back on being like, oh, that was the one that created the most positive, lasting change in yes. in my life, and and um, and and this this. Um, uh, th this can happen on kind of global levels when you, um, when, when something happens and all, all of a sudden, um, uh, you, you realize that there's these, they, they, these larger issues come to the surface, like domestic abuse was an issue before COVID-19, yeah. yes. um, and, and something that we, we probably should have been talking more about not that it was something that was completely neglected but uh, but we probably could have focused more on and and mm. there's there's just um so, so many opportunities like that for for bringing these problems to the surface much like a, a, a that's hopefully what your therapist is is doing for you as well mm. as bringing some of the some of the suppressed or pressed whatever issues to the surface but then how do you go and integrate you know it's one thing to have that therapy session to have that psychedelic experience to have the quarantine to go and travel to a new um a country and have that cultural experience it's quite another to think about how to integrate it into your life and yes and act on it um so do you have any uh do you have any thoughts about that so uh, so yeah. so we don't just uh uh go back to the second we can go back to business as usual yeah i mean i think you know integration and with psychedelic experiences with transformative experiences with challenging experiences or amazingly ethereal wonderful experiences integration is fundamental i mean i Integration is something I think about all the time, you know, and, I, and I'll have people that will reach out and they're like, oh, Scott, I had this amazing psychedelic experience or I had this crazy yoga retreat. And, and I said, well, what are you, how are you integrating? Like, what are you integrating there? Yeah, and, and we cannot integrate in silos. We cannot integrate in um, systems of being alone and we can't integrate socially isolated. And, you know, one of the things that we've done that has really, for me, prevented a lot of integration is isolated our elders you know, in a way that we don't, we put all of our old folks in retirement homes and plug them into a machine and extract their value. And, and we don't talk to them much. And none of us really like to hear our parents tell us what we should do or what we shouldn't do. And for me, it's about opening those pathways back up. And in the same sense, our children are that for us too. They come into the world and they're kind of reckless and playing around and having fun and being silly. And, and the integration for me occurs across all the generations, all the different expressions of the way we be in the world. And so for me, it's about communication and it's about opening up these spaces. You know, this is why tribal councils existed and why circle exists and why people will come in and share on these different ideas and why therapy isn't just in a vacuum of one-on-one. -on -one. There's, there's groups that support each other in this space. So for me, if you're looking to integrate different experiences you have, there is science behind that, but science needs to start contributing to this process of it, there's lots of studies right now coming out about it, like how, what impact is COVID having on us right now in the moment and how stressed are people and how do students feel in this environment and what's going to happen to the economy. But for me, what you said is largely an area that I think most likely will be understudied at first, but should give more attention to is the integration of what do we really learn from this thing and what might we do going forward, not to prevent something like this, because if something like this comes, it's going to come whether or not we want it to happen. But what can we do to actually work through it as it comes and, and learn from it in a way that we maybe didn't learn from it this time. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think academia could learn from spirituality? Oh, that we know nothing. <laughs> I mean, truly we know nothing. I mean, there are, we create knowledge and we have ways of knowing and believing that we can root to scientific evidence, but, so many of our studies are rooted in assumptions of the way the world works. So many of our studies are rooted in assumptions of ignoring uh, error, of ignoring limitations to our studies and these things. And while we are creating one way of knowing, there are many ways of knowing and being in the world. And I think 
what spirituality starts to pull you into the space of self-actualization and self-transcendence and interconnectedness is knowing that there's a knowing beyond just the being and the mind that is in this body that we all are a part of too, yeah? And, and the intellect is an expression of that, but it's also something that's used to interpret the world. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you see... Um, uh, do you see, because uh, I, I know the, uh, the, the Dalai Lama's uh, interesting character where he, yes. he's like, he's very interested in science and yeah. like learning about quantum physics and all yeah. these things. And, and, and he, he, I am no expert on the Dalai Lama, but, Same. but I know, I know he's, he's said some stuff in the past about how, um, in, in terms of Buddhism, he's just like, well, you know. If uh, if if we figure out if, if science or whatever else has some updates on like what this reality is, then we need to integrate that into our spiritual practices and, and what we believe, which is like yeah. com compared to any other organized um, religion out there. That's that seems like that seems pretty radical. Um, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, so do you see any groups of people, any areas of the world, or do you see a path forward of, um, of integrating, um, a, a, a greater balance between spirituality and, and science yeah absolutely i mean there's this organization called science and non-duality i don't know if you've seen them at all yet sand mm -hmm. oh my god it's fantastic it's uh there are people working at this intersection of blending science and spirituality and um you know there's lots of thoughts on science and spirituality being the expression of the same thing just different different languages and different and we're all kind of on a tangential path or an arc toward the same place, right? The same, mm -hmm. the same spot. And, um, yeah, yeah, there's, you know, and in with some of these Eastern religions, there's the thought that we are, we're all on the same, we're all headed toward the same destination, just on different paths. And I think, you know, I, I love science and I coming in and, uh, as a kid, I loved it growing up and, you know, using it as something to learn the world around me and to interpret the world through another lens is such a beautiful art form. And, but I also, you know, science was also used to support the negative implications of being in the military and developing weapon systems to exert force over other beings. And uh, so that gave me another side of science. It was like, holy shit, we can use this stuff to destroy ourselves and destroy the world, right? And then <clears throat> on the same spirituality path, it's like I can have these spiritual connections where I feel vastly connected to something larger than myself but i can also use it in the same way as a tool to destroy other people and and for me what science the blend of science and spirituality really allow this cultivation of intellect and intuition to blend that we can then realize that wow we know we know nothing but we have these interpretations of the world that when combined and if i can understand vastly what's being spoken in science and in spirituality there is a peace and there's a way of knowing what is actually needed to be worked on now as an academic, but also as an individual that's on this own personal path of, of self growth and, and the humans around me that are doing that, my graduate students or uh, students that come through my past or someone I talk to at the grocery store, like how can I offer myself in a way that, you know, I am a part of their trajectory and they are a part of my trajectory, both as student and teacher. Yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, do you, do you see, uh, how do you, how do you see the role of, um, technology, which I, I guess technology, science are, are, are pretty closely related yeah, there, yeah. but, uh, but, um, uh, you, you know, in, in terms of spirituality, oftentimes when we think about it, when we think <laughs> about mindfulness and all, uh, it sounds like, um, it, it, it sounds like kind of a romanticizing of old ways and 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 perhaps some of the kind of naturalistic fallacies in in there here here and there um uh as well and um and but there are there are opportunities that technology allows for us to have these uh we're connecting right now yeah, through yeah. technology there's there's incredible 
um, uh, incredibly efficient um, uh, potential alternative energies, th mm. things like things like solar or biofuel that's a way of kind of combining nature with technology with science and and um and and sustainability and all of these uh all, all bringing all of these things together do you so do you think but then um uh, technology is also running the risk of like let's crank more crap we don't need out faster and yeah. and uh a drone for every household, which I actually, that is one of the platforms I'm running on. Uh, I do believe everyone should have a drone. Um, <laughs> but but, um, uh, uh, but what, what are your thoughts? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that as, uh, as, as the, um, the, the new uh, Scott, Cloutier uh, that, yeah. that that has turned into this uh, 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 new age hippie since the last yeah. time I talked to yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you what do you think about in terms yeah. of uh, technology? Well, I mean, first I haven't been. It's not I've just emerged into the new age hippie. It's just the new age hippie has been okay with coming out again. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, ways of being in the world where we think we can't be is something I we all struggle with. And right. Yeah, working to be what I am is here. I was just making jokes. No, I love it. No, I think it's wonderful, and I think it's um, and I it's it's good to be acknowledged as that. And I think that's that's an important role within academia and the thinking about technology. It's technology is a is about um, it is a gift and it's a curse at the same time, and it's a matter of how it's used. And and like I was saying, like we've used all this crazy science to generate tools to destroy people, and we've also used science to develop tools to connect and to talk and to see each other and to, you know, feel good about ourselves and to work on mindfulness with meditation apps or, um, but we've also used design with this, these same tools to keep us on the phones, to keep us connecting with them to, you know, when the iPhone vibrates, it triggers fight or flight response in our body. Like these different things that are the colors of the screens are used to keep us more stimulated. There's all these different technologies that are used there. And for me, and it comes back into the philosophical place where it's about the ethics of these things. And, um, you know, technology in a lot of ways has made it so we can clean our drinking water, made it so we can have safer living environments. And there's exclusive access to those different things. But it's also provided a lot of beautiful things at the same time, providing a lot of non-beautiful things, like the way we treat our planet and the way that we take advantage of, you know, one another, or the earth, these types of things. I think what's this is why I think the spiritual path is so fundamentally important right now. And I was just reading a paper actually uh, a couple of days ago that talks about the neglect of the inner world and that working on this inner world allows us to shed some of these ideas of consumption or the need to be on our phone constantly, or what is it that we're agreeing to in our life that makes it so that I want to just dive into my phone. Um, and so technology is, it, it is an expression of humanity. Yeah? It's, it's a natural thing. A lot of people say it's not natural, but we've created it as expressions of the planet that are from the earth. And the ability that we have, you know, and there's lots of arguments about who has consciousness and not, and animals don't have consciousness, and I don't agree with any of that, but I think that the thing that we have is the ability to really think about and consider what we're doing and how it feels in our bodies. And it, there's a lot of us that know that it doesn't feel good to sit on the couch five hours or 20 hours or however many hours a day we're watching TV, but there's a technology that allows for that thing to be. Yeah. And, but there's also internal mechanisms that allow us to sit and watch TV 20 hours a day. And I think that for me is what technology can be used that can be used to create opportunity for more reflection and more integration of who it is that we want to be in that space and how we use those technologies. Mm. As I'm going to let you go in a moment to yeah. get my meditation app. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I think much of it is is probably about intention. You know, yeah, you, yeah, you exactly. mentioned, uh, you, you know, it, it's it's technology, much of technology and much of culture is expressions of ourselves and yes. our own inner 
uh, worlds and our own inner preferences and desires and fears. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, 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 uh, people are like, oh, the singularity or whatever. Is that what it would robots destroy us all? Well, it depends on what you start with for the program in the first, yeah. in the yeah. first place. If, if you, yes. if you want to, if you want to put all your computational power into into making the most mindful artificial intelligence yes. <laughs> in the world you could you could uh maybe maybe build the uh the most peaceful uh artificial being <laughs> the world's ever it just sits and counts its ones and zeros <laughs> and has friends all, doing all the same <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well so, that's the yeah the intention is so important and i and i think it's something that's uh undervalued in the sense that something's going to take us over and but maybe also like taking it another realm. And I have a conversation with a friend who's an evolutionary biologist, Mike, you know, Mike Angeletta, that's who introduced us. Yeah. We always would have conversations about, well, maybe our intention is just, or our purpose as humanity is just to be here and to create an environment that destroys ourselves. And the thing that emerges from that is whatever is meant to be next, right? And maybe that's what technology is. I mean, who knows? Or maybe we are, technology is the expression of us and there's no longer a need for the living, physical, fleshy bodies but that this thing we design takes over. But again, for me, what comes into that conversation is the intention. And what is it that we intend to design? And sometimes in this capitalistic world, which I don't believe is necessarily a terrible thing, I think that there's good things to that too, it's the intention is to extract money. The intention is to get money. And I think when, that, when we design things with intention to be extractive, inherently that system will always be extractive and we will be a part of it. And I think, like you said, the people that are millionaires, multi-billionaires are still sitting there thinking, well, what if this whole thing's collapse collapses? I mean, they might have enough to take care of themselves in this life or whatever, but what is the value of all the things they've been doing? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there's just so many different ways of looking at, looking at everything. Yeah, there are. I, 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 I wouldn't, I, I, I have, I have no, uh, I have no real attachment to my own fleshy body, but I, I have been missing touching other fleshy bodies yeah. <laughs> uh, lately. So I guess I go back and forth. Yeah. Well, we're I don't know creatures. if I'm for or against fleshy yeah. bodies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah Depends on whether I'm touching one or living in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks, Scott, for joining oh, me. You. This is really a terrific conversation. And yeah, I appreciate too. you finding uh, finding the the time to um, to share your perspective. Happy to do it. I hope to see you again in five years, and who knows what we'll be then. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be great. We'll see. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next episode. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As a reminder, you can go back to see the first episode of Scott and I talking about sustainable city planning for the wellness of populations. And uh, that was June 2015 um, and uh, in the first year of the Here We Are podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Um, thinking about uploading all the past audio onto YouTube here. Is that something you guys would be interested in? Let me know if it is. Uh, can upload all, all 300 or so past episodes. Additionally, um, uh, uh, thank you to Neil Hoover of the Creative Businessman podcast, who um, not only as uh, the sponsor of this episode, but also took part in the Patreon Saints podcast. Anyone who uh, who supports me and has a certain level of um, of lifetime contribution um, uh, will be selected to have a one-on-one -on -one Zoom chat with me. If you want it made uh, recorded and and posted to publicly, you can. If you want to be private, that's uh, that's cool as well. And it's just one of the many offerings that you'll get over on Patreon, not just asking for a, a handout or a little extra change in the tip jar. Uh, trying to build a community there and, uh, and use it for a place of brainstorming and put more thought into each one of, uh, 
of these episodes and all the other aspects of things that I do, comedy and all of the other uh, advocacy work that I do. And speaking of community, I just started a Discord server. If you're unfamiliar with Discord, it's terrific. It's think of social media, but uh, without the trolls, um, with with it being specific to like-minded people that are into this stuff, people that like science so much, they're still watching this video right now. And, uh, and it, you know, it has a, it's behind the paywall of, of Patreon. And so uh, people have a more invested interest. There's, a, there's a, a, a lot more interesting conversations um, going on. And it's been a ton of fun uh, so far as a new project as well as having a bunch of different categories. So we can talk about science. Um, the environment, what movies you're watching, and you can subscribe to the channel within that that you're the most interested in. So you just want to hear posts about nature or something like that. So you can uh, you can pay attention to just that one and um, and not have to uh, hear hear when we're having a conversation about DMT or something like that. Which, by the way, if you go to um, if you go to my channel, I have a playlist, a bunch of different playlists, one of which is a bunch of psychedelic content um, on, on there that I've done on Comedy Central and a trailer for my documentary, Psychonautics, and, and things like that. So if you're interested, check all that out. Thank you for watching all the way to the end. You guys are my favorites.